First John. You may want to take a guess as to who wrote First John. John. Oh, some of you got it. Good. Uh, John was a disciple of Jesus. He, uh, in the back of our Bibles, uh, writes uh, uh, 1 John, 2 John, 3 John, and then uh, Jude is written, but uh, Revelation is his other contribution. He also wrote a gospel in our Bibles called the Gospel of, I thought some of you might say Luke, and you would have been wrong. Uh, but uh, uh, he writes these letters to uh, probably a group of churches. Most scholars agree that he had a uh, a responsibility over a group of churches that were kind of situated around the ancient city of Ephesus. And, uh, and he writes these letters to them to encourage them to walk as Jesus walked in, in the ways that Jesus has prescribed. He, he wrote those down in, in the gospel that he wrote about Jesus. But here in his letters to these uh, first century churchgoers, he says, hey guys, don't forget, there's a certain path that we frequent. There's a, a way that we live and uh, so I've entitled this series, Walk This Way. Yes, Aerosmith did influence that choice. Um, but but it's, it's really more about what uh, is in the scriptures that we're going to study together over the next weeks and months as we walk through 1 John. I remember uh, growing up in church. My mom's here today for the first time in like three years. Hi, Mom. How's it going? When Mom was taking me to church uh, as a young guy, uh, I'd sit in Sunday school class and they'd teach us the songs, Jesus Loves Me, right? Anybody go to church growing up? Jesus Loves Me. What are the other ones? The bangers. Uh, Jesus Loves Me. Jesus Loves All the Little Children, right? All these, yeah, that one's, anyway. Uh, uh, but then I, I learned this one. Uh, oh, be careful, little feet, where you go. Anybody remember that one? For the Father up above is looking down in love, so be careful, little feet, where you go, eh, eh, right? Uh, even as a child, I was being taught there's a certain way to walk in this life with Jesus, a certain place or places that we need to go. Uh, we've heard that, right place, right time, right? Success is usually uh, linked to location. I learned that yesterday. I had a wedding to do in Lakeland. A lovely uh, couple uh, got married in their beautiful backyard on this little island, hard to explain, but they were, they were on this island on this lake that backs up to their house. And uh, and so I typed in what I thought was the address to this place. But I was kind of busy getting ready to preach last night, and I wasn't really paying attention. That might surprise you. Uh, but uh, I typed in the wrong number. And what, what your GPS will do if you type in the wrong number for a given address or a given street name, it will find the right number for a different street name. <laughs> and so it was in Lakeland. I drive 50 minutes uh, to get to this place. And when I get to the address that is on my phone, it's nowhere. Has anybody ever showed up at nowhere? Like, there's nothing here. I think I, I pulled up next to a lot that was for sale or something like that, and I was like, this is not it. And so I prayed, and I said, God, please make this on this side of Lakeland at least. I don't want to be late for this wedding. And God is good, three blocks away. I wasn't bad, right? And I just drove up and did this wedding. Uh, uh, but it's easy to get lost in life. It's easy to get lost in this walk with Jesus. And so John writes his letters, all three of them, 1st, 2nd, and 3rd John, to these churches to help them remember the path they're meant to trod. One of the first sermons I remember hearing, I heard a bunch, but one of the first ones I heard uh, and remembered was this uh, sermon where a guy was talking about growing up in Chicago. He lived in this building on this busy street in downtown Chicago, and a few floors down lived a man who had been blind since birth. Um, they became friends. He marveled at this guy's ability without sight to be able to maneuver his world. Uh, he had a cane, kind of like this one. 
and he had memorized the number of steps down, uh, you know, all of the stairs in his building to the front door. He knew if he went left and walked X amount of steps, he'd be at the grocery store. And if he went right and walked X amount of steps, he'd be at the post office. He had done that for all the places of significance in his life, and he basically lived autonomously uh, even though he could not see. One day he comes down from his his apartment to, to go to the grocery store. Nobody told him that on that day the city had gotten around to fixing the sidewalk. And so they had, uh, early in the morning, dug up a section of the sidewalk about, uh, you know, 12 feet long or something like that, and they had stretched a a plank about 12 inches wide that spanned the sidewalk that was now a huge hole in the ground. And and this guy's just kind of, you know, tapping along, and he gets to the edge where uh, he steps on the plank, and he's like, that's weird. I don't remember there being a board here. And he continues to walk, but as he walks, i got to go this way now so I don't hit the organ. his taps were hitting nothing but air. And he soon realized, I'm not where I normally am. He did what any one of us would have done in that situation. He screamed, help. (laughs) And one of the construction workers uh, saw what was going on and uh, came to his aid, walked him across so that he could continue on. I don't know how he got home. Story ended there. But... uh, in the sermon that I heard and in the sermon that I'm sharing with you, it kind of is a good picture of what it's like to, to walk this life with Christ. We could think we know what we're doing, but then all of a sudden circumstances change. Someone dug a hole in our sidewalk. And e- even though uh, we walk by faith, sometimes um, that, that faith is easier. And at other times, we just need help. Uh, These churches needed help. They had been infiltrated by false teachers who were convincing them of all kinds of wrong ideas. One of the ideas, which we'll get to as we walk through the letter, is that they were saying that Jesus isn't really necessary to a life with God. They were saying that Jesus wasn't God at all. And so um, this was making these early believers feel kind of like out on the plank. They didn't know where to go. John's going to help them with that. They also had been told by these false teachers that it was okay to hate. Like if someone disagrees with you, it's okay to hate them. I'm so grateful we live in a world where that is not the case, uh, where, you know, everybody who is, you know, on different sides of political issues or, you know, uh, ideas of any kind can, you know, come together and no one says anything nasty in anybody's comment section on their social media. Yeah. Are you picking up the sarcasm? Yeah. Uh, So John... Uh, affirms that we are a people of love to these people who are kind of lost in this question about how they should walk. Um, The the book kind of breaks down into those two um, um, directions. Uh, John basically starts out in the first couple chapters and says, hey, you need to walk in light. He says, walk in the light as he is in the light in, in chapter one. And, and then he kind of pivots in chapter 3, and he says, walk in love. Love one another. Don't hate. This is who we are. Uh, it's timely for us to be going through this. It's been a weird world to live in in the last, uh, you know, two or three uh, calendars, uh, pandemics and now invasions and obviously the ongoing political polarization, uh, the fact that our culture is rapidly shifting in a direction far from God. I don't mean to alarm anybody, but if you're raising kids in this era, uh, 
Um, as they leave high school and head to colleges, there's a 75% chance that they're going to jettison whatever faith they had in Christ and go a different direction. Yay! All the more important then that we study books like 1 John and understand how to walk in Christ's way, how to live as he prescribes. Now, we're just going to cover the first four verses of this book today. Uh, they're introductory. Usually as you open a letter, you say, dear whoever, how's it going, what's up? It's kind of like that, a little bit more pointed, uh, but just four verses. And in these four verses, we're going to see John um, stake his claim. I'm a witness of Jesus himself. I was there, personally hung out with him, heard his message, chose him and what he had to say for my life. And so you can trust me when I talk about how you should live your life with him. He's a witness. Everybody say witness. He's going to do that for the first couple of verses, be a witness. And then he's going to uh, shift quickly to explaining why he writes 1 John. Here's why I'm writing you this letter. I'm writing to proclaim to you so that you might have the things that I'm going to share with you. No spoilers. So he gives the Why? So the two things we're going to talk about here today are the witness and the why. Everybody say that with me. The witness and the why. Let's start with the witness. It says in verse 1, that which was from the beginning, which we have heard, which we have seen with our eyes, which we looked upon and have touched with our hands concerning the word of life. This is a unique beginning in uh, epistle, uh, you know, writing, uh, epistles or letters. Most of the epistles or letters in your Bible start with the signature, I, Paul, or you know, I, Peter, or whoever's writing the letter. They sign their name at the beginning, and then they kind of give you, you know, uh, some uh, commendations, grace and peace to you, or whatever they say. Uh, John actually does that in these other uh, letters, 2 John and 3 John, start with, uh, you know, from the elder, he calls himself the elder. That's kind of his online handle. But he doesn't do it here. He just launches. And he gives five clauses that basically um, describe his experience with this word of life. That which was from the beginning, which we've heard and seen with our eyes, which we've looked upon and touched with our hands concerning the word of life. Like I said, John wrote a gospel, and this beginning here in this letter uh, kind of harkens back to how he started his gospel. Everybody turn to John chapter 1 with me, and you'll see kind of similar words. John says in his first letter, that which was from the beginning, in his gospel he says, in the beginning was the word. What other book starts with in the beginning? Genesis. Huh, way to go, church people. All right. Uh, in the beginning, he says, was, and there it is, the word, word capitalized, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. So in the beginning of all things, there was this person, essentially, who was the Word. He was with God, uh, and he was God. Uh, who do you think the Word was? If a pastor asks you a question, what do you say? Jesus. That's correct. This is Jesus. It's one of the names of Jesus. It, it's the Greek word logos. It speaks to the fact that uh, creation was spoken into being. So God the creator, the son was the logos, the word that began everything. His words dictate everything. His words are wisdom. He is the word. Later on in verse four, 
uh, we get the rest of what he refers to in 1 John, uh, here in verse 4 of John's gospel. It says, in him the word was life, and the life was the light of men. So the word was life. It was the, Jesus was the word of life. And John speaks in terms of a, a, a plural pronoun, we, in, uh, if you can go back to 1 John chapter 1, verse 1 for me, Matthew. Uh, he says, uh, that which was from the beginning, which we have heard. Who's we? That's all the apostles that were hanging out with John. There was a certain bunch of guys, that uh, the 12 that hung out. There were many others who spent those years with Jesus. They experienced him in his life here on earth. And he says, we have seen this word of life. Now, can I do some Greek nerd stuff with you? Let me put on my Greek nerd glasses. Here we go. Um, it's an interesting way that Paul, or excuse me, Paul didn't write this. John <coughs> writes about this word of life. You would think if he's speaking of the word in his gospel, who is Jesus, he would use the masculine pronouns. But he doesn't. Look at how he starts verse 1. That, that which, that which was from the beginning, that which we have heard. He's talking about a thing or something tied to a person. I don't know, ladies, how you refer to your husband. Do you refer to him as him or that? There's one that's kinder, okay? I think he'd prefer that masculine pronoun, him. Don't call him a that. But John refers to his Savior Jesus, the word of life, as that. Scholars have long debated why he chose to do this. Was it just a misprint, you know? Uh, or was it intentional? I believe it was intentional. Because, again, we're going to go to the, uh, the, the false teachings that were occurring in these churches. One of them was that Jesus wasn't really the Son of God. In fact, there was this Gnostic teaching, which was a, a way of looking things. Gnos is the Greek prefix for knowledge. Uh, and so the Gnostics had thought they had this higher knowledge. And so they had been teaching people that Jesus wasn't really a man. He was kind of like a hologram. He was like this spiritual being. So no wonder he could walk on water. And so no wonder he could do the things that he was able to do. He was never truly flesh and blood like us. He was just sent from God as a messenger. And, and, and they held to this belief. But John's like, hey, y'all, you can't have the message without understanding that Jesus was truly a man. He's one of us. That's why he's an apt sacrifice for us. He, sin, he lived his life without sin. He, he lived a perfect life and so became for us this perfect sacrifice on our behalf. You know, there's certain things that we could disagree on in the church, doctrinal uh, situations that maybe, you know, lesser pieces that we can be like, I think this and I think this, it's fine. You cannot, look at me, you cannot lose the humanity and the deity of Christ and call yourself a Christian. It's central. The message of the gospel is tied to the man of the gospel, our Savior, Jesus Christ. I was driving back from Lake yesterday, and uh, I was going down Yule and then 60, and there's lots of big farmyards that kind of, you know, uh, are adjacent to those roads, and many of them have uh, large collections of vehicles up on blocks. Does anybody see these as you drive, right? There's one with a big, huge for sale sign and this, this truck that could have been like in a ZZ Top video, right? Except it was like all rusted out and, uh, and, and just a hull of a vehicle. And some of you guys would look at that and be like, cool, I would love to fix that up and blah, blah, blah. I look at, like that, I look at that and I just like, I don't want that. It doesn't run. There's no windows. There's no trunk. And there's no engine where the engine's supposed to be. It's useless to me. You can have it. 
It's the same thing I felt when I would go into high school shop class with my friends who were working on engines, learning how to do mechanics, and they would, you know, regale me with their tales of, you know, this thing, the carburetor didn't work, and the, you know, the dimiflitchy and the who's a what's, whatever, they're using all these, and I'm like, fine, and then, but listen to it now, and they crank this engine up, and, and I'm like, all right, cool, but what are you going to do with it? I don't know, it's just what they teach us on. I was like, well, that's dumb. It doesn't run anything. It's just an engine with no machine. Tie it to a tie rod or a drive shaft and, and let's get out of here. My point is this. If you've got the gospel without the man, the message without the man, if you've got the, the, the person of Jesus, which is you know, something that people struggle with. I believe Jesus is a great teacher. He was a moralistic you know, uh, a leader, but, but he's not the way to God. If, if you miss either of those, then you miss the point of your faith in Jesus Christ or the point of beginning a faith in Jesus Christ. You've got to have the message and the man. It's like Reese's peanut butter cups. Chocolate, yeah, good. Peanut butter, gross. Put them together, though. Now we're talking. Are you with me? Maybe not. He goes on, and in verse 2, as he continues to speak of being a witness, he says this. He says, <clears throat> uh, it's a parenthetical. You can kind of see at the end of verse one. Can you, yeah, you see that little hyphen at the end of verse one there on our screens? It's kind of in our English language how we uh, denote uh, a parenthesis. Sometimes in other translations they actually use parentheses, but here they just use a hyphen. Uh, he, he revisits a lot of the ideas he's already used in verse one. In verse two, he says this. He says, the life was made manifest. I saw him. We've seen it. And, and we testify to it. And we proclaim to you not just the word of life, but the eternal life, which was with the Father and was made manifest with us. All right, is everybody picking up? He's still talking about Jesus, and he's still talking about the message of Jesus, but now he's tied it not just to life, but to eternal life. He's in essence saying that this Jesus, who is the Son of God and was with God, is the only way to God and to eternal life with God. It's the only way it works. Jesus spoke of this often in John's gospel. Uh, he was praying to his father on that night after he had that first last supper that we just celebrated a little while ago. He's praying to his father before he goes to his cross, before he's taken captive and submitted to all kinds of atrocities. But he's praying in this garden of Gethsemane, and he says this in John chapter 17, verse 1. He says, when Jesus had spoken these words, he lifted his eyes to heaven and he said, Father, the hour has come. Glorify your Son, that the Son may glorify you. Since you have given him authority over all flesh to give eternal life to all who you have given him. This is one of my favorite verses in the whole Bible. It explains our gospel, I think, in a very concise way. He says, this is eternal life, that they know you, Father, the only true God, and how do they get to know you? They know Jesus Christ, whom you have sent. Jesus said it this way uh, a little bit earlier in the book, in John chapter 14. He's talking about going to prepare, prepare a place for his friends, and they're like, how are you not going to have to get there? And he says this. He says, I am the way, I am the truth, and I am the life. And no one gets to God except through me. Now, listen, that's not a popular idea in the culture that we live in. People don't like things to be exclusive Tolerance, include, accept how everybody thinks. We even print up bumper stickers like this one. Who's seen this one? 
coexist. Anybody seen this one? I remember going to a U2 concert in the 90s, and they just popped this out. And listen, there's parts of this I can get with. Bono wasn't all wrong, right? As religions, we shouldn't constantly be at war. We shouldn't hate each other because we believe different things, right? So we should coexist. I can get with that. But where this has gone in so many people's minds is that, hey, coexist to the point where you accept what everybody else believes. All paths up the mountain of God lead to him. So uh, can you put the sticker up there again for me? So you got the, the, the Islamic symbol in the sea. You got the peace sign, which I don't know, hippies. Anyway, uh, you got the, 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 the male and the female. You got the Star of David. I don't know what the eye is still. But you got the, the yin and the yang of the Eastern religions. You got the cross of the Christian religion. Coexist, everybody. It's all the same. We all believe in the same God. We all end up in the same place. Listen to me. Look at me. This is going to be online forever. This is what I believe. The other religions of the world, though populated by people that God made and loves, are wrong. Don't shoot the messenger. I'm just telling you what the scripture says. Jesus is the only way to the only God in all of existence. The other paths will not lead to him. That's why our mission is so important. We're not here to agree with everybody in the things that they hold to. We're here to lovingly point them to the one truth, the one way, the one life, Jesus Christ our Lord. You want forever life? It's him. Your faith in Jesus is the only way to forever life with our God. Jesus goes on, uh, actually a little bit earlier in his story, he's, he's heading to a funeral. His friend Lazarus has died. And Lazarus' sister is meeting him on the road as he's walking there, and they have this conversation. The sister says, hey, if you had only been here, I know you could have healed him before he died. And Jesus says, what? You don't think I can heal him now? And he says these famous words. He says, I'm the resurrection. I am the life. Whoever believes in me, though he physically dies, yet he shall forever live. He actually says it this way. And everyone who lives and believes in me shall never die. That's forever will live in other words. They'll never die. And then he asks the question that everybody in here either has answered or needs to answer. Do you believe this? Having known many of you for the last 18 years, I know you do. And we have that shared uh, belief in life. But some of you are sitting here and you're like, nope, still out. In fact, I was a little offended by the whole coexist thing. I got friends from those religions. I get it. Take some time to sort through these things. But <laughs> you can either say that Jesus was a liar, or kind of crazy, a lunatic, or he was Lord. And what he says goes. He is eternal life. To John, and the first two verses explains that he and those who are with him, the other apostles, are witnesses to the person who is the word of life, to the gospel message that is the word of life. It's this person and this message that is the key to experiencing forever life. And then he goes on from the witness to the why. He says in verse 3, that which we have seen and heard we proclaim also to you so that first reason is this, so that you might have fellowship 
That which we have seen and heard, we proclaim also to you so that you may too have fellowship first with us. These OG, original gangster disciples. Sorry, that probably means something else in other cities. But these original followers of Jesus Christ, we want you to have fellowship with us. Not just with us in relationship as as friends, but we want you to have fellowship in what we believe and what we know to be true. We want you to walk this way. The things I'm proclaiming to you are so that you can have fellowship with us, but not just us. Look at what it says in the rest of verse 3. It says, so you may have fellowship with us, and indeed our fellowship is with the Father and with his Son, Jesus Christ. He kind of lumps the fellowship all into one. If you want to know God and his Son, Jesus, get to know us. Listen to us. Trust us to show you the path to walk. This is such a great verse. It's basically, if you've ever heard us talk about discipleship relationships around here, you know, our whole vision as a church, our whole mission as a church, I should say, is that we uh, live to glorify God by being disciples who make disciples. And, And so everybody in here, if you're a disciple of Jesus, a follower of Jesus, part of your being a disciple is to help others follow him too. And that's what John's doing here with these churches. Hey, guys, We're telling you everything that we're telling you so that you can have fellowship with us, and in having fellowship with us, you can know God and his son Jesus all the better. I think back through my years, uh, the people who were instrumental in this happening in my life. It started with my parents. It moved on to the churches that we were a part of, the Sunday school teachers I had. Miss Jenny in fifth grade was super instrumental. She had these wild, crazy kids who were just bouncing off the wall, but she loved us and made us ginger snaps. I will never forget Miss Jenny because she loved Jesus. It was one of the first times that I, you know, started doing the math. Hey, Miss Jenny loves Jesus. Maybe I should. I went to middle school and high school. I had youth leaders and youth pastors. I went to college. I met friends there who were further down the road in their relationship with Christ. And they came, you know, to me and they just started dragging me along with them, sometimes even when I didn't want to. I met my wife, who's like not perfect, but, you know, pretty great. And, uh, and she loved the Lord. And I was like, what is this? And, and God used her in, in, in my own deepening. The relationships that he gave me. I went to work for my uh, youth pastor that I had in high school, and he taught me the ropes in becoming a pastor. And I had a great uh, senior leader in my last church in Dallas who, you know, brought me around in my thinking as, as a leader uh, in my own right. And, and all of these things, sure, I've, I've learned about God from his word and from my own personal experiences with him, from praying and listening to him. But for the most part, the things that I know about my faith, I've learned from other faithful followers. And that's how this works. In relationships, when we uh, find those who we'll be in life with, uh, it kind of looks like a triangle. So, So the fellowship of God is fellowship with each other, the children of God so that we can get to know the Son of God, Jesus, and and be connected with the Father God through him, right? And so it's you and me and God. But here's the great thing. I I tell couples this all the time in their marriages. I tell people in relationships and life groups, listen, as both of you continue to move forward in your relationship with God, the, the gap between you as individuals shrinks. God has this uniting ability in us as we seek him and honor him, Sin leaves us, we are less frequent sinners, and we are more apt to enjoy the blessings of human relationship as a result of honoring him in our relationship with him. Is everybody with me on this? Did the triangle change? 
Good. <laughs> Let's talk about fellowship for a second. Can we do that? What's fellowship? It's the Greek word koinonia. Everybody say koinonia. Who's heard it before? Yeah, our, our, our most common understanding of koinonia is this shared enjoyment of some gift or experience. Within the church, it's this shared enjoyment of Jesus and his message and his person and his, his provision to us. That's why I think church should never feel like a chore. Did church feel like a chore for you today? Did church feel like a chore? You better say no. It should never feel like a chore. It should never be this thing that we're complacent about or just like, meh. It's the greatest provision that has been given to earth by its God that we get to hang out together in life, in relationship, singing his songs, learning his word. It's a blessing for us to have koinonia, to have fellowship. Well, it's, it's a chance for us to gather and rejoice over the gift and the experience that we have with Christ. It has a different meaning, though, that I didn't really realize until I studied this week. Can I share with you something new that I learned? Koinonia is also used in our Bible on fewer occasions to express partnership. So like uh, in Luke chapter 5, Jesus is meeting his disciples for the first time. There's four of them that are fishermen, two sets of brothers. Uh, there's uh, Peter and Andrew, Simon, Peter, and Andrew, and then there's James and John, the sons of Zebedee, and they hang out there on the Sea of Galilee, and they fish, and it says that they had koinonia together. They weren't talking about, uh, you know, the shared joy of fishing. They were talking about, hey, if we catch too many fish in our boat, you're our partner boat, and you're going to come and bail us out, or if our boat starts sinking, you're our partner boat, and you're going to save us, you know, from drowning, or whatever. You're, we're partners. Some of you understand exactly what I'm talking about because you go to jobs every day where you partner with other companies. In a way, you're experiencing koinonia because what you're experiencing together is a shared mission. And I love that that's what koinonia means. It goes beyond just the shared enjoyment of Jesus. It reminds us of the shared mission that we have in Christ. Hmm. Acts chapter 1, Jesus is leaving to go to prepare a place for us. It's called his, um, uh, not his resurrection, but his ascension. Thank you. Wow. Brain. Anyway, he's ascending into heaven, and his, uh, his disciples are gathered around. He says in Acts chapter 1, you will be my witnesses. In Matthew 28, it, it puts it this way. Go. He gives them a command. Go and make disciples. Link arms, partner up, and go make this happen. Koinonia is a shared enjoyment of an experience together, but it's also a shared mission. And so it is that John comes to these guys and says, I want to invite you to fellowship with us so that you might have fellowship with the Father and the Son, so that you might join us in the mission as we continue to walk the way that he's designed us to walk. The last thing is this. He says the... The reason that I'm writing to you, verse 4, is, is that our joy may be complete. Now, one more Greek nerd thing. This word, our joy, can actually be translated your joy. And some English translations have actually made an account for that. In, in the New Living Translation, it says, we are writing these things so that you may fully share in our joy. Isn't that a great reason to express to someone the best ways to walk in life with Christ, to, to share with them uh, the path that he has, the places he desires us 
to frequent. Here's how you live life. I'm doing this so that you can have joy like I have joy. We all get that, right? We, we want people to experience the things that we've experienced and that blessed us in life. I remember taking our kids to uh, Disney, uh, you know, this is years ago. Uh, my daughter was like 11 or 12 years old, uh, had always been deathly afraid of roller coasters, could never get her on one. She didn't want to be upside down. I'm like, that's odd because, you know, for the first four years of your life, I basically grabbed you every day by your ankles and I just hung you upside down. This doesn't make sense to me at all. But she's like, I just don't want to go fast. I don't want to be upside down. So we go to, you know, Disney and we're looking at all the coasters that would do that. And she's like, no, no, no. And there may have been some level of constructive deceit in one of the conversations. And we said, well, let's go try the rock and roll roller coaster. It's inside. It's probably not a big deal if you've ever been over there. You can't see it from the outside, so she has no visible proof of any loops or anything like that. It's like, let's try this one. Maybe it'll be fine. It'll be a good roller coaster for you to start in. <laughs> so <clears throat> stood in line for the hour and a half. We finally get to the time where it's going to Of course, I'm waiting for the front car because we're not animals. That's how you ride a roller coaster. We're going up. But she's like, no, I want to be back. So she's sitting with her mom in the back car of this roller coaster, and she's kind of, you know, kind of, I don't know, I don't know, this is crazy, what am I doing? And I'm barking from the front, get in there, it's going to be great. And she finally sits down, and she's still wondering, because you can still, you know, if you've ever been on a roller coaster ride, you can still get out right towards the last second. They'll let you out, you can just take the walk of shame and wait for your family to finish their ride. <laughs> but, you know, she was still wondering if she should get out, and then finally someone hit the button in the booth, and the bars came down, and she's in and I'm still, I'm gonna, oh, it's going to be fine. It's going to be great. And I look back just in time to see my daughter uh, ask the teenager who had helped her with the bar, there's no loops in this, right? And the car starts rolling, and the teenager just looks at her and goes. <laughs> and so the whole click, 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 click up the first hill, I'm hearing everybody else scream, woo! And in the back car, I'm like, Dad! <laughs> She's yelling at me. But then, roller coasters don't stop once they go. And that first hill hits, and I'm, you know, for the 45 seconds that those things last, an hour and 45-minute wait for 45 seconds. When are we going to figure it out? Anyway, I just had a blast and just forgot, you know, this. Got off the front car, and I looked back real quick to see my daughter's reaction, and she kind of stumbles out of the back car, and she just kind of looks at me in her dramatic way, and she went, yeah! And we got back in line. <laughs> and never missed another roller coaster at any theme park that we went to because she had finally understood the joy that I knew she would have if she would just try. So now, some of you are like, okay, cool, Mark. First four verses of John. First John. Thanks. What's this got to do with me? Well, everything. Because like I said, Jesus called all of us to be his witnesses. So in everybody here, if you're a follower of Jesus Christ, there's a little bit of John the Apostle in you. Now, you may not be, you know, in fact, let me emphatically say, you will not be adding to our Bibles an epistle of your own. We don't need you to write to our church or any other church and Smack it into our book. We're done with that. Everybody good on that? But you can still be someone's John. Because there's all kinds of people in your world that have thought that they've figured out life, 
but they don't even realize. They're not really seeing clearly. And there's going to be times where they get into situations where they've walked out on a plank and they have no answers. And you're going to be the one that comes along and says, hey, man, walk this way. You're going to be their witness. And you're like, well, I wasn't there with John. Come on, people. We're 2,000 years after the fact, and I'm still seeing Jesus show up in my life. Are you? I'm still hearing him when I read his word and when it's preached to me under the uh, guidance of his spirit. I'm still watching him in the lives of other people. I'm still rejoicing in the miracles. My buddy Gary, uh, you know, thought he had been given a death sentence and a cancer diagnosis. He goes back for what would be the beginnings of his cancer treatments, and they said, we can't find it. It's not there. You're not going to need chemo. Go home. We'll check on you in three months. And I know all my friends who doubt there's a God and all, and it's like, well, they missed it on the test, and everybody... I'm like, no, we prayed and we saw Jesus act on the behalf of his child and things changed. So don't give me this, if I could just see him, if I could just be, we see him, we hear him. He touches us, we, we, we've, we've understood him and we get to be witnesses of the word of life. Every one of us this week has the opportunity to find someone out on their plank and be a witness of the word of life. It's going to show up on the slides here in just a second that we are witnesses of the word of life. I guarantee, yeah, see, I told you. And as witnesses of the word of life, we get to be the proclaimers of his truth so that others around us can have fellowship with God the Father, with God the Son, and with God's children, that's us. And we get to do this because it's going to make a difference in their lives. We, we proclaim so that our joy and their joy may be full. You know, Sharon last night with our Saturday night crew as Darnisha comes to sing our last song, maybe. Uh, as I was sharing with our crew last night. I was thinking through like my, my, my favorite experiences in the history of me, right? And so obviously there's the, the common ones, certainly, uh, you know, convincing Eleanor to marry me and her doing so way up there. The birth of my three children, certainly up there. Uh, number one for me is my own understanding of the gospel and the reception of Jesus as my savior. But then you start thinking about the other things. And candidly, honestly, I've, I've been blessed to be able to travel around our world a little bit and see lots of things and have lots of great experiences. But the things that pop up to me are the times where I've been a John to someone else in life. And I've been blessed to explain who the word of life is to someone who didn't know him yet. And I've been able to, you know, invite them as, as I've shared the good news with them into fellowship with the Father and with the Son and with me as one of God's children. I can't express to you the joy that I've felt in watching my buddies Tom and Brad from high school choose faith in Jesus Christ. In watching, you know, students that I was a pastor over go from darkness to light and become pastors themselves in these later years of their lives. I don't say those things to, you know, put notches on my Bible and say, boom, look what I did. I say those things, you know, complete awareness of the fact that I am 
pretty useless in and of myself, except that the Holy Spirit, on occasion, gives me the blessing of being someone's John. And so now, may you and I go and be ready to be someone's John this week, to proclaim the good news given to us by the man, the man in the message, the man who is Jesus, the Son of God. May, may we be blessed by him to have our joy made complete by seeing someone else's joy be found in life with him. Amen? We're going to sing that song we sang earlier, the song of commitment to our God, the Yes, I Will song. Stand with me as we sing. Yes, I will lift you high in the lowest valley. Yes, I will bless your name. Yes, I will sing for joy when my heart is heavy. God in heaven, that's my prayer for your children. That for all our days, we'd say yes. And that we would purpose uh, to be your witnesses. Why? So that others can have fellowship with you, with us. Find the joy that we've found. Grant us the opportunity to do that. As we uh, you know, transition from this time around your words to some time around some food trucks together, and hanging out, I, I pray that you just uh, give us koinonia, some good fellowship, rejoicing in, uh, in what we have uh, you know, jointly shared with you and with each other. But then take us into the world. Make us partners in the mission uh, to make much of you uh, so that more might join us in following you. That's my prayer. We love you, Lord. Thanks for giving us this morning. It's in Jesus' name that I pray. Amen? Amen. Amen. I'll see you outside. God bless you. Have a good morning.